Section 18 of Scott's Last Expedition, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Scott's Last Expedition, Volume 1, The Journals of Robert Falcom Scott, Arranged by Leonard Huxley. Chapter 9, The Work and the Workers. Sunday, April 23. Winter Quarters. The last day of the sun and a very glorious view of its golden light over the barn glacier. We could not see the sun itself on account of the glacier, the fine ice cliffs of which were in deep shadow under the rosy rays. Impression. The long, mild twilight which, like a silver clasp, unites today with yesterday, when morning and evening sit together hand in hand beneath the starless sky of midnight. It blew hard last night, and most of the young ice is gone as expected. Patches seem to be remaining south of the glacier tongue and the island and off our own bay. In this very queer season, it appears as though the final freezing is to be reached by gradual increments to the firmly established ice. Had divine service. Have only seven hymn-books, those brought on shore for our first service being very stupidly taken back to the ship. I begin to think that we are too comfortable in the hut, and hope it will not make us slack, but it is good to see everyone in such excellent spirits. So far not a rift in the social arrangements. Monday, April 24. A night watchman has been instituted mainly for the purpose of observing the aurora, of which the displays have been feeble so far. The observer is to look round every hour or oftener if there is aught to be seen. He is allowed cocoa and sardines with bread and butter. The cocoa can be made over an acetylene Bunsen burner, part of Simpson's outfit. I took the first turn last night. The remainder of the afterguard follow in rotation. The long night hours give time to finish up a number of small tasks. The hut remains quite warm, though the fires are out. Simpson has been practicing with balloons during our absence. This morning he sent one up for trial. The balloon is of silk and has a capacity of one cubic meter. It is filled with hydrogen gas, which is made in a special generator. The generation is a simple process. A vessel filled with water has an inverted vessel within it. A pipe is led to the balloon from the latter, and a tube of india rubber is attached which contains calcium hydrate. By tipping the tube, the amount of calcium hydrate required can be poured into the generator. As the gas is made, it passes into the balloon or is collected in the inner vessel, which acts as a bell jar if the stopcock to the balloon is closed. The arrangements for utilizing the balloons are very pretty. An instrument weighing only two and one quarter ounces and recording the temperature and pressure is attached beneath a small flag and hung ten to fifteen feet below the balloon with balloon silk thread. This silk thread is of such fine quality that five miles of it weighs only four ounces while its breaking strain is one and one quarter pounds. The lower part of the instrument is again attached to the silk thread 
which is cunningly wound on cone bobbins from which the balloon unwinds it without hitch or friction as it ascends. In order to spare the silk any jerk as the balloon is released, two pieces of string united with a slow match carry the strain between the instrument and the balloon until the slow match is consumed. The balloon takes about a quarter of an hour to inflate. The slow match is then lit and the balloon released. With a weight of eight ounces and a lifting power of two and one-half pounds, it rises rapidly. After it is lost to ordinary vision, it can be followed with glasses as mile after mile of thread runs out. Theoretically, if strain is put on the silk thread, it should break between the instrument and the balloon, leaving the former free to drop while the thread can be followed up and the instrument with its record recovered. Today this was tried with a dummy instrument, but the thread broke close to the bobbins. In the afternoon, a double thread was tried, and this acted successfully. Today, I allotted the ponies for exercise. Bowers, Cherry Garrard, Hooper, Crystal, P.O. Evans, and Creon take animals, besides Anton and Oates. I have had to warn people that they will not necessarily lead the ponies, which they now tend. Wilson is very busy making sketches. Tuesday, April 28th. It was comparatively calm all day yesterday and last night, and there have been light airs only from the south today. The temperature, at first comparatively high at minus 5 degrees, has gradually fallen to minus 13. As a result, the strait has frozen over at last, and it looks as though the Hut Point party should be with us before very long. If the blizzards hold out for another three days, the crossing should be perfectly safe, but I don't expect mirrors to hurry. Although we had very good sunset effects at Hut Point, Ponting and others were much disappointed with the absence of such effects at Cape Evans. This was probably due to the continual interference of frost smoke. Since our return here, and especially yesterday and today, the sky and sea have been glorious in the afternoon. Ponting has taken some colored pictures, but the result is not very satisfactory, and the plates are much spotted. Wilson is very busy with pencil and brush. Atkinson is unpacking and setting up his sterilizers and incubators. Wright is wrestling with the electrical instruments. Evans is busy surveying the Cape and its vicinity. Oates is reorganizing the stable, making bigger stalls, etc., Cherry Garrard is building a stone house for taxidermy and with a view to getting hints for making a shelter at Cape Crozier during the winter. Debenham and Taylor are taking advantage of the last of the lie to examine the topography of the peninsula. In fact, everybody is extraordinarily busy. I came back with the impression that we should not find our winter walk so interesting as though at Hut Point, but I'm rapidly altering my opinion. We may miss the hill climbing here, but in every direction there is abundance of interest. Today I walked round the shores of the North Bay examining the Kenite cliffs and great masses of moronic material of the Barn Glacier, then on under the huge blue ice cliffs of the glacier itself. With the sunset lights, deep shadows, the black islands and white bergs, it was all very beautiful. Simpson and Bowers sent up a balloon today with a double thread and instrument attached.
The line was checked at about three miles, and soon after the instrument was seen to disengage. The balloon at first went north with a light southerly breeze till it reached 300 or 400 feet, then it turned to the south but did not travel rapidly. When two miles of thread had gone, it seemed to be going north again or rising straight upward. In the afternoon, Simpson and Bowers went to recover their treasure, but somewhere south of Inaccessible Island they found the thread broken and the light was not good enough to continue the search. The sides of the galley fire have caved in. There should have been cheeks to prevent this. We got some fire clay cement today and plastered up the sides. I hope this will get over the difficulty, but have some doubts. Wednesday, April 26. Calm. Went round Cape Evans. Remarkable effects of icicles on the ice foot, formed by spray of southern gales. Thursday, April 27. The fourth day in succession without wind, but overcast. Light snow is falling during the day. Tonight the wind comes from the north. We should have our party back soon. The temperature remains about minus five degrees, and the ice should be getting thicker with rapidity. Went round the bergs off Cape Evans. They are very beautiful, especially one which is pierced to form a huge arch. It will be interesting to climb around these monsters as the winter proceeds. Today I have organized a series of lectures for the winter. The people seem keen, and it ought to be exceedingly interesting to discuss so many diverse subjects with experts. We have an extraordinary diversity of talent and training in our people. It would be difficult to imagine a company composed of experiences which differed so completely. We find one hut contains an experience of every country and every clime. What an assemblage of motley knowledge. Friday, April 28. Another comparatively calm day, temperature minus 12 degrees, clear sky. Went to ice caves on glacier south of Cape. These are really very wonderful. Ponton took some photographs with long exposure, and Wright got some very fine ice crystals. The glacier tongue comes close around the high bluff headland of Kenite. It is much cracked and curiously composed with a broad wedge of white neva over blue ice. The faults in the dust strata in these surfaces are very mysterious and should be instructive in the explanation of certain ice problems. It looks as though the sea has frozen over for good. If no further blizzard clears the strait, it can be said for this season that the bays froze over on March 25, the strait froze over on April 22, the strait dissipated on April 29, the strait froze over on April 30. Later, the hut point record of freezing is night 24th, 25th, ice forming midday 25th opened with leads. 26th. Ice all out, sound apparently open. 27th. Strait apparently freezing. Early 28th. Ice over whole strait. 29th. All ice gone. 30th. Freezing over. May 4th. Broad lead opened along land to Castle Rock, 300 to 400 yards wide. Party intended to start on 11th, if weather fine. 
Very fine display of aurora tonight, one of the brightest I have ever seen over Erebus. It is conceded that a red tinge is seen after the movement of light. Saturday, April 29. Went to Inaccessible Island with Wilson. The agglomerates, kenites, and lavas are much the same as those at Cape Evans. The island is 540 feet high, and it is a steep climb to reach the summit over very loose sand and boulders. From the summit one has an excellent view of our surroundings and the ice in the strait, which seemed to extend far beyond Cape Royds, but had some ominous cracks beyond the island. We climbed round the ice foot after descending the hill, and found it much broken up on the south side. The sea spray had washed far up on it. It is curious to find that all the heavy seas come from the south, and that it is from this direction that protection is most needed. There is some curious weathering on the ice blocks on the north side. Also the snow drifts show interesting dirt bands. The island had a good sprinkling of snow, which will all be gone, I expect, tonight. For as we watched the summit, we saw a storm approaching from the south. It had blotted out the bluff, and we watched it covering Black Island, then Hut Point and Castle Rock. By the time we started homeward, it was upon us, making a harsh chatter as it struck the high rocks and sweeping along the drift on the flow. The blow seems to have passed over tonight, and the sky is clear again, but I much fear the ice has gone out in the strait. There is an ominous black look to the westward. Sunday, April 30. As I feared last night, the morning light revealed the havoc made in the ice by yesterday's gale. From Wind Vane Hill, 66 feet, it appeared that the strait had not opened up beyond the island, but after church I went up the ramp with Wilson and steadily climbed over the glacier ice to a height of about 650 feet. Note from the glossary. Ramp, a great embankment of moranic material with ice beneath, once part of the glacier, on the lowest slopes of Erebus at the landward end of Cape Evans. End of note. From this elevation one could see that a broad belt of sea ice had been pushed bodily to seaward, and it was evident that last night the whole stretch of water from Hut Point to Turtle Island must have been opened, so that our poor people at Hut Point are just where they were. The only comfort is that the strait is already frozen again, but what is to happen if every blow clears the sea like this? Had an interesting walk. One can go at least a mile up the glacier slope before coming to crevasses, and it does not appear that these would be serious for a good way farther. The view is magnificent, and on a clear day like this one still enjoys some hours of daylight, or rather twilight, when it is possible to see everything clearly have had talks of the curious cones which are such a feature of the ramp. They are certainly partly produced by the ice and partly by weathering. The ponds and various forms of ice grains interest us. Tonight have been naming all the small land features of our vicinity. Tuesday, May 2. It was calm yesterday. A balloon was sent up in the morning, but only reached a mile in height before the instrument was detached by slow match. In the afternoon went out with Bowers and his pony to pick up the instrument, which was close to the shore in the South Bay. 
went on past inaccessible island the ice outside the bergs has grown very thick fourteen inches or more but there were freshly frozen pools beyond the island in the evening wilson opened the lecture series with a paper on and arctic flying birds considering the limits of the subject the discussion was interesting the most attractive point raised was that of pigmentation does the absence of pigment suggest absence of reserve energy does it increase the insulating properties of the hair or feathers or does the animal clothed in white radiate less of his internal heat the most interesting example of polar coloring is the increased proportion of albinos amongst the giant petrels found in high latitudes. Today have had our first game of football. A harassing southerly wind sprang up, which helped my own side to the extent of three goals. The same wind came with a clear sky and jumped up and down in force throughout the afternoon, but has died away tonight. In the afternoon I saw an ominous lead outside the island, which appeared to extend a long way south. I'm much afraid it may go across our pony track from Hut Point. I am getting anxious to have the hut party back, and begin to wonder if the ice to the south will ever hold in permanently, now that the glacier tongue has gone. Wednesday, May 3. Another calm day, very beautiful and clear. Wilson and Bowers took our few dogs for a run in a sledge. Walked out myself over ice in North Bay, there were many good cracks and pressures with varying thickness of ice showing how tide and wind shift the thin sheets the newest leads held young ice of four inches the temperature remains high the lowest yesterday minus fourteen degrees it should be much lower with such calm weather and clear skies a strange fact is now very commonly noticed in calm weather there is usually a difference of four degrees or five degrees between the temperature at the hut and that on Windvane Hill, 64 feet, the latter being the higher. This shows an inverted temperature. As I returned from my walk, the southern sky seemed to grow darker, and later stratus cloud was undoubtedly spreading up from that direction, this at about 5 p.m. About 7, a moderate north wind sprang up. This seemed to indicate a southerly blow, and at about nine the wind shifted to that quarter and blew gustily twenty-five to thirty-five miles per hour. One cannot see the result on the strait, but I fear it means that the ice has gone out again in places. The wind dropped as suddenly as it had arisen soon after midnight. In the evening, Simpson gave us his first meteorological lecture, the subject coronas, halos, rainbows, and auroras. He has a remarkable power of exposition, and taught me more of these phenomena in the hour than I had learned by all previous interested inquiries concerning them. I note one or two points concerning each phenomenon. Corona. White to brown inside ring called areola, Outside are sometimes seen two or three rings of prismatic light in addition, caused by diffraction of light round drops of water or ice crystals, the diameter of the rings inversely proportional to the size of drops or crystals. Mixed sizes of ditto causes aureola without rings. Halos, caused by refraction and reflection through and from ice crystals. 
In this connection, the hexagonal tetrahedral type of crystallization is the first to be noted, then the infinite number of forms in which this can be modified together with the result of fractures. Two forms predominate, the plate and the needle. These forms falling through air assume definite position. The plate falls horizontally, swaying to and fro. The needle turns rapidly about its longer axis, which remains horizontal. Simpson showed excellent experiments to illustrate consideration of these facts and refraction of light striking crystals clearly leads to explanation of various complicated halo phenomena such as recorded and such as seen by us on the great barrier and draws attention to the critical refraction angles of thirty two degrees and forty six degrees the radius of inner and outer rings the position of mock suns contrasuns zenith circles etc. Further measurements are needed, for instance the streamers from mock suns and an examination of ice crystals. Record of ice crystals seen on barrier surface. Rainbows, caused by reflection and refraction from and through drops of water. Colors vary with size of drops. The smaller the drop, the lighter the colors, and nearer to the violet end of the spectrum. Hence white rainbows are seen on the barrier, very small drops. Double bows. Diameters must be 84 degrees and 100 degrees. Again from the laws of refraction. Colors. Inner, red outside. Outer, red inside. That is, reds come together. Wanted to see more rainbows on barrier. In this connection, a good rainbow was seen to northwest and February from winter quarters. Reports should note colors and relative widths of bands of color. Iridescent clouds, not yet understood, observations required, especially angular distance from the sun. Auroras, clearly the most frequent and intense in years of maximum sunspots. This argues connection with the sun. Points noted requiring confirmation. Arch, Center of arch in magnetic meridian. Shaft. Take direction of dipping needle. Bands and curtains with convolutions. Not understood. Corona. Shafts meeting to form. Notes required on movement and direction of movement. Color seen. Supposedly red and possibly green rays preceding or accompanying movements. Auroras are sometimes accompanied by magnetic storms, but not always and vice versa, in general significant signs of some connection, possible common dependence on a third factor. The phenomenon further connects itself in form with lines of magnetic force about the Earth. Curious apparent connection between spectrum of aura and that of a heavy gas argon may be coincidence. Two theories enunciated. Arrhenius, bombardments of minute charged particles from the sun gathered into the magnetic field of the earth. Birkeland, bombardment of free negative electrons gathered into the magnetic field of the earth. It is experimentally shown that minute drops of water are deflected by light. It is experimentally shown that ions are given off by dried calcium which the sun contains. Professor Stromer has collected much material showing connection of the phenomena 
with lines of magnetic force. Thursday, May 4. From the small height of Windvane Hill, 64 feet, it was impossible to say if the ice in the strait had been out after yesterday's wind. The sea was frozen, but after twelve hours' calm it would be in any case. The dark appearance of the ice is noticeable, but this has been the case of late since the light is poor, little snow has fallen or drifted, and the ice flowers are very sparse and scattered. We had an excellent game of football again today. The exercise is delightful, and we get very warm. Atkinson is by far the best player, but Hooper, P.O. Evans, and Crean are also quite good. It has been calm all day again. When over the sea ice beyond the Archberg, the ice half a mile beyond is only four inches. I think this must have been formed since the blow of yesterday that is, in sixteen hours or less. Such rapid freezing is a hopeful sign, but the prompt dissipation of the flow under a southerly wind is distinctively the reverse. I am anxious to get our people back from Hunt Point, mainly on account of the two ponies. With so much calm weather there should have been no difficulty for the party in keeping up its supply of blubber, an absence of which is the only circumstance likely to discomfit it. The new ice over which I walked is extraordinarily slippery and free from efflorescence. I think this must be a further sign of rapid formation. End of first part of chapter 9